Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington. And in this episode, I'm going to give you some, they may seem like random updates, and I guess they kind of are since they are grouped together in a random fashion, but it's things that I've been working on and thinking about over the last couple weeks. Some of those things are unrelated to business. One of them is a movie and a song, which I'll explain later, but I'm also going to talk about moving from Aweber to Kajabi for my email list, which is a fairly significant task, and my content audit, which is kind of like right in the middle. I'll also give a little update on dry January, and of course, it is beyond January, and I've been having beers. Well, I fell right back into my old bad habits and been having beers every day. I can clearly see that my sleep is suffering, uh, not not just see in the analytics from my Apple Watch, but I am obviously waking up in the middle of the night and it's been less enjoyable to sleep, but it's been more fun drinking beer. So I'm, I'm probably, I'm probably going to taper it back down this coming week or at least have uh, drinks earlier in the day so that it doesn't impact my sleep. So kind of an odd solution for that, but I think it's going to work out pretty good. Now, I do have a few questions that I'm going to answer as well, uh, generally related to some of the topics that we've talked about. But if you do have questions out there, I do love to get emails, feedback at Doug.show. Pretty much if you have a legit question, even if I've covered it before, and you maybe have some specific details you want to pepper in, I'll probably go ahead and answer your email. So feedback at Doug.show if you do have a question, and it can be related to marketing and niche sites. It could be SEO. It could be travel, personal finance, whatever. It could be kind of off topic, and that'll be okay with me. They're, they all kind of interrelate. You know, they all kind of interrelate. So I'll start off with this Aweber to Kajabi migration. And I, I'm going to give you some project management and kind of system implementation ideas, even though this is, uh, you know, generally marketing related. But the thing is, when you migrate from one technology, one software platform to another, whether it's your email platform in this specific example, or you're moving to a new hosting company, which is super common, or you're moving to a new theme, or you're moving from one plugin to another, Basically, you'll need to go through a series of steps in planning and then in implementation and then the follow-up afterwards to make sure that things don't get too fucked up. Because basically, when you migrate from one solution to another, things are going to get kind of screwed up. Even if you're working with a transition team, even if they tell you, for example, with a hosting company, they will say, hey, we're going to bring over your hosting, uh, your previous website. You don't have to do anything. We're going to do everything for you. We're not going to charge you for it. Usually something's going to break there. So even if they're painting a picture that it's going to be flawless, oftentimes you're going to run into some kind of issue. In my old gig as a project manager and management consultant, I helped manage these system implementations. Usually new software was being installed somewhere. There were customers that would be impacted and there were a lot of things that could go wrong. So this is kind of in my wheelhouse. And whenever a company tries to get me to test software or have a look at something where I already have the problem solved to my satisfaction, they're trying to deliver maybe an incrementally better solution to something that I already have figured out. I'm probably not going to go for it because I know that there's going to be more issues and it's not a zero cost to transition from a, a good enough solution to a slightly better solution. And often there's going to be more fallout than you anticipate or than they anticipate unless you're jaded and cynical like me and you just know something's going to go wrong. And it's really not that bad. It's just I'm a little resistant to change and I'm framing it in a different way. So I will tell you the general ideas of what you need to think about ahead of time. And then I'll tell you some of the specifics from my transition from Aweber to Kajabi, which I think I have successfully done at this point in time. 
I sent an email to, uh, you know, over 10,000 people through Kajabi and I think it worked. I don't think I sent thousands of emails out to people that, uh, already got those emails or any sort of nonsense. So number one, you should map out what you think is going to happen. Now, if you're lucky, and I always ask this of uh, companies that I'm working with, do you have a checklist for people transitioning? Do you have a specific checklist for a Weber to Kajabi or anyone on another platform transitioning over just so I can kind of get a ballpark. So if they don't have that available for you. You may have to come up with that process on your own. You should be able to figure out a lot from their documentation, but there's probably some pieces in there that you'll have to think about as well. One of the big pieces that I had to look at was my autoresponder series, a few campaigns that I had built. And at one point, for a few years, I had an evergreen funnel in place using deadline funnel. So there were several integrations with other pieces of software, sometimes directly from that software to Aweber. Sometimes it was through Zapier. Sometimes it was through Zapier plus a little custom integration. So the more custom things you have going on, the more, I guess, not necessarily custom code, but anything that's unusual, that's not plain vanilla, you'll probably have to think about that. So map out what you think is going to happen in the steps. You should think about those exception cases as well. So I have an email list and there are some people who are in a specific funnel area. Maybe they've gotten the first five emails, but they haven't gotten any information about courses or Uh, specific products in my funnel. So they maybe don't have as much information. And then I have 30 emails in the autoresponder and I was going through a process where I was paring that down to the best 10 or so and getting rid of all the fat, getting anything that is uh, a little out of date, anything that maybe isn't the very best stuff. I'm just going to throw it out. I'm going to start fresh. I'm doing all this content audit anyway. So I figured, hey, I'm going to get rid of a lot of the fat and any waste that may be in the autoresponder. But the point is there's people in different situations on my email list in different parts of the email autoresponder. I don't want to send the exact same emails to someone that just got them a couple weeks ago. Now, if it's like three, four months ago, it's not the worst thing to send an email that you've already sent out just because there's a very good chance that the person that's getting that email for a second time, they didn't read it the first time. So a reasonable open rate for an email list is probably like 20%. I'm getting right around that average. Used to be a little higher, but depends on how clean you keep your email list and a few other details. I think marketing and internet marketing may have a slightly lower open rate than if it was a home brewing beer type email list or some kind of hobby where people are into it and they're excited to get more information about it. So you map out what's going to happen. Think about those exception cases. Think about people that maybe they're all the way through the autoresponder in my specific case. So there's a few buckets of people that I want to place in a different area for this transition. Now, for people that are signing up for the email list brand new, they're just going to start fresh on Kajabi. And that was the way I handled that. So I know exactly the path they're going on. They're they're new, so they're easy to deal with. But anyone that was in the autoresponder series, I had to think about what emails they received and what I want to send them in the future. When you go through that, you're going to realize that it can get a little complicated. Even if you try to keep it simple, you're going to find several buckets of people in my case, but depending on what technology you're looking at, software that you're switching to or whatever your transition is, you're going to have other things where you're just not really sure the best way to handle it. And if you end up like me trying to ask for help from support, they try to do a very good job, especially premium services like Aweber and Kajabi. They have pretty good support for the general 
help that most people need. But if you try to ask specific questions, sometimes they don't know what the fuck you're talking about. They're not marketers. They're support people that know the software and they can point you in the right direction if you're doing the normal use case. But if you're doing something unusual, they don't know what you're talking about. So I ran into that a number of times and got very frustrated a few times as I was trying to ask questions. And I I was like, I just want you to get it. Like, why don't you understand what I'm talking about? And it's really not their fault. And I always try and keep that in mind. And I try to be polite so that I can actually get some help. But think about that fallout. Along the way, you will understand you're going to have some trade-offs. So I could have recreated the autoresponder series on Kajabi and then placed each person exactly in the same spot that they were in on the Aweber autoresponder over on Kajabi. It would be seamless. They wouldn't even know anything happened other than emails are sent from the Kajabi email server versus Aweber. However, when you step back and you think about trade-offs and you think about what benefit you're going to get from that versus coming up with a simpler solution, it was very clear to me that I didn't want to deal with all those details and have like a surgical approach to this. I just needed it to be good enough and I didn't want to go crazy trying to make it perfect. So I literally had those three buckets of people people that were just signing up to the email list. So those are easy people that were in the middle of the email list. So those I had to think about a little bit. And then there were people that were already through the autoresponder and only received broadcast emails. So those are not automated. I write those fresh every week and send those out the week that I write them. So they're topical. Usually they are specific for what's going on with me on that week I'll highlight some of the content that I've published, that sort of thing. So I kept it simple, three buckets, and I could have made it a lot more complicated and had 30 different buckets of people, but I really wouldn't get much of a benefit from that. So similar to the trade-offs, and you have to figure out what's important for you and exactly your goals, if you start mapping things out, you may realize that you have dependencies. And these are huge in project management. It's very easy for a specific team, let's just say the Kajabi team, to not realize that there's dependencies on other software. There's dependencies in in different pieces. And I don't have a really good example right here for what I was doing. But for example, if I was still using Deadline Funnel for my Evergreen Funnel piece, and that just means... I had a product and I wanted each person that signed up for the email list to have a specific deadline for when they would be able to purchase that product. It creates creates a little scarcity so people are encouraged to make a decision on the product versus just allowing someone to purchase a product at any time. There's not a real driver to force them to think about it. And if you are not using scarcity, your sales are going to be a little bit worse. And I I can see that by the fact that my sales aren't as good as they were when I was using deadline funnel. So the Kajabi people and the Aweber team, they don't really know that I'm using deadline funnel. They don't know about the scarcity that I have in place or the products that I have. So they may be completely unaware that by moving from Aweber to Kajabi, There's a dependency in place. Deadline Funnel needs information from my email provider. And it's just, they don't know, right? So they have no clue. So you as the business owner, as the marketer, you have to understand like which pieces are dependent on other pieces. And you'll have to come up with solutions for that or understand how to make your new, new system, talk with your old system, and that kind of thing. Dependencies, very important. And again, I can't come up with uh, super good examples here, but hopefully people understand what I'm talking about. In project management, sometimes you will have dependencies, especially with timing. So I 
oh, I'm thinking of good examples here. So if you're moving from a hosting, one hosting company to another, you may have some dependencies on when things could be done. So if you needed to back up your website and the database and all the content, you obviously would want to back everything up before you start migrating or making major changes. In fact, you may want to put a freeze in place. So no new content's going to be published. No new plugins are going to be used. Nothing's going to be updated. And there's a code freeze. That's what people call it, a code freeze. And you're not going to make any changes until after the migration's done. That way you could back something up, back up your website, database, all the content, do your migration, and then you know that you have a backup. People aren't going to do work that's going to be erased. And this actually happened to me not too long ago on a website where I made some changes. There was a migration in place I didn't know about. I was dependent on the migration. Backups were made. Somehow my backups were missed. My content was missed in those backups. So I ended up in a situation where I had to redo work. One of my least favorite things to do Oh man, I was so annoyed, but these dependencies are very important and you can see it really easily in a timeline and in a project plan. Some things are just dependent on others and you can't do them until something else is done ahead of time. So keep that in mind when you're listing out all these steps and it helps you put the order on what you're doing. And by the way, I wrote all this stuff out several times because I knew that I was going to miss things. So I got out my legal pad, wrote out what I thought the steps were. I waited a week, went through again. I was asking more questions from the support teams. I waited another week and I really kind of, I kind of put this off for a little while because I was scared to do it. And the, the trigger for me is I knew I was going to be billed again by Aweber very soon. So I was like, I got to do it this week and get it done. So that, that was the, the push. So when you map everything out, you'll have a much better understanding of what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, and those dependencies. Really encourage you to take a break after you map them out. If you have someone that you can review it with, you should definitely do it. If you have a mastermind or something like that, you can talk to people who have done some more migrations and just make sure you're not missing anything. In the corporate world, you usually have a team and some other folks that would either review it with you within your team, or if you're integrating with other teams, you would talk to their project manager, their integration manager, and figure out, okay, are we missing anything? Is there something on your side that we're not thinking about? And that way you sort of can collectively figure everything out and approve it and make sure you're in good shape. You should also have some checkpoints in place after the migration so that you know that it worked right. So I made the migration <laughs> over to Kajabi. I made sure that everyone on my email list wasn't going to be sent an email. I've seen this happen a lot of times when people migrate to a new service. Everyone on the list gets like a welcome email or something like that. It seems, I mean, it's an accident, right? But it seems unprofessional and like you don't know what you're doing, which unfortunately is often the case and migrations are difficult, but I really wanted to make sure that that didn't happen. So I double checked a few things before I migrated to make sure it wasn't going to happen. And then when I got everybody over, the import for all my subscribers was complete. I was, I have a couple De like uh, test emails that I'm I'm on there. So I know that I didn't get one and it was great. Then I sent an email the next morning to the full list and I got that email just like I expected. And I see a lot of people opened it and everything worked how I expected. So have checkpoints at the end so you could verify that things worked like you expected. So that my friends is one of the reasons why if you have sent me an email, hey, I got a new software product, I got this great plugin that does X, Y, or Z, I usually tell you, no, I'm not going to test it. I really don't care. I have that solution figured out. It has to be a not only a cheaper solution, it has to be 
magnitudes better to make up for the cost and the thought of migrating to a new tool. It's just not worth it. It has to be really, really amazing and it has to be cheaper. And I I just, I can't emphasize it enough. And that's why I'm so resistant to moving to a new tool. I think Kajabi is going to be good. It is going to save me 150 bucks a month, which is a non-trivial amount. It's also going to unify everything onto one platform. A lot of times it's great to use the best in class for whatever it is you're doing. You got course platforms, you have email, you have uh, different pieces of the funnel and marketing stack. It's great to use everything that's the, the best in class. But when you have these integrations, there's things that are going to get screwed up. Yes, you can link things up using Zapier. And I have been using Zapier for several years. It's great, but it's not perfect. It's not perfect. And you end up with issues with uh, synchronization of data, especially if you're trying to manage an email and funnel in general with tags and a lot of other complicated things. With Kajabi, it's not as good, I don't think, on the email side, but it's good enough and I can send out the emails that I need to send out. What it is really good at is having the course platform and the email list all together. And it's very easy for me to send an email to specific kind of people. Let's say I want to send an email out to people who have purchased one course, but not another. Or I want to send an email to everyone who has purchased all my courses because I want to give them something special, that sort of thing. So it's very good for that. And the fact is everything's in one place and it's going to be cheaper in the long run. Kajabi is kind of expensive as in as a uh, email provider. It's a little bit expensive if you're just using it for courses. It's a little expensive if you're just using it for your website. But with all the functionality together, it's a lot cheaper than the other solutions that are out there. And you probably gather from how I talked about the migration and some of the things I consider for tools, I'm not necessarily uh, the person that needs the very best piece of software for this marketing stuff that I'm doing. I need it to be functional. And as long as it does the job, I'm probably going to be happy with it. None of the solutions are perfect. They all have their little little quirks. A lot of them have the same flaws. So I I saw like one, one issue that I was getting a little annoyed with for Kajabi, when, especially when I was on the chat trying to get an answer from someone who didn't know what I was talking about. You have an autoresponder series or a sequence is what it's called over at Kajabi. So after one day, you get this email. After five days, you get this email and so on. You can put as many emails in there as you want. And I wanted to know if I could pause the sequence for everyone on the list. And there's no pause button. You can't do it. And I wanted to make sure that if I was sending out marketing emails two times a week on a specific week, if I could pause all the other emails, so no person would get two emails from me on the same day. That's a little annoying. I don't want to do that. I want to make sure I'm not sending too many emails to people that don't want to get that many emails. And there's no specific way to do it. I think there's a little workaround I haven't confirmed this and I don't think the support would probably be able to tell me, but I think if I change the first email to not be sent out until say 10,000 days, then no one would get any of the emails until I change that back to one day. So that, that could be a workaround. The whole point here is I'm pretty sure Aweber had the same issue. So You had to really manage who was getting what emails and you really couldn't, you can't pause the autoresponder series. You can't pause the sequences. And I I wish there was a way to do it. And I think it's just a weird edge case, right? So they, they don't have a solution for it. So anyway, let's move on to a different topic. Hopefully that was helpful. People shoot me an email if you like to hear these sort of very detailed migrations, or I guess this is technology management 
it's kind of behind the scenes. I think for people that maybe you're, you're running some other deeper marketing stuff, you, you understand exactly what I'm talking about, but let me, let me know if you like these kind of topics, even if you're not using it specifically. And let's move on to something lighter, the movie and song that I teased you with before. So a few, few months back, my wife told me there's this movie called Everybody Wants Some that one of her co-workers really loved and really recommended. Now, I hadn't heard of it. I'm not huge into movies these days, but it is uh, one of those teen comedies, but it was directed, written and directed by Richard Linklater. I think that's how you say his last name. Now that I'm reading it out, I'm not sure. Linklater. But he was the same dude that produced and I think wrote dazed and confused, which for people in you know my generation around 40, that's a pretty great movie. A lot of people reference it. I haven't seen it in quite a long time now that we're, we're talking about it, but it was pretty good and it's funny. I, I don't remember the, the point of that movie, but it's written by the same people, sort of shot in the same kind of style. And it's one of those you know great coming of age kind of movies. This movie came out in like 2016. I did not see it, didn't even know it came out. And it's about a college freshman who is starting his first year in college. So he, he's showing up and it's, it, it was okay. It was okay. I, I didn't love it. I wasn't sure there was a, a huge point, but it was set back in 1980 in Texas. So that was kind of fun to see them shoot it in a, you know, a, a time, time kind of piece. So it was set back in 1980. There is a scene in there where one of the baseball players is hanging out with, you know, the others, some of the others, and they're getting stoned upstairs in their, their house, the, the baseball player's house. So they're, they're hanging out and they were talking about a song that was on, it was spinning on vinyl in the background. And I kind of recognized it. I was like, that, that's pretty great. And then the stone, the very stoned guy started talking about it in the chord progression. And then I, I remembered what, band it was. I was like, that is, that's Pink Floyd. That's Pink Floyd. And there's a song called Fearless. And that's, that's what they were playing. So I had to look it up. It's a great song. I've heard it before, but it's not one of Pink Floyd's like bigger songs that plays on the radio. And I looked it up and I, I was like, I think that's an open tuning. So the guitar players out there have probably heard of an open tuning. A lot of the I guess bands that I enjoy, they, they play an open tuning. So I was aware of that. And I like to play an open G pretty often. The black crows play an open G uh, pretty often. And so do the Rolling Stones and a few other bands will, will sprinkle it in there as well. But for the people that don't know, an open tuning is when the guitar is tuned to a chord. So it's tuned to a specific chord, an open G. If you just strum it and you don't put your fingers down, it's uh, a G chord and you can tune almost any chord. You may have to, uh, you know, tune up or tune down. So I recognize that the song Fearless by Pink Floyd is an open tuning and it's, it has like a, a great tone. Folks, you can look it up out there. It's on YouTube and you can hear it. And the thing is, this tuning is tuned very, very low, and it's a different open G tuning. So it is actually in G, but it's tuned way down. So a normal guitar is tuned E, A, D, G, B, E. Sorry, bro. I wrote that down, and then I don't know why, because I know exactly what it's tuned to. But this other tuning is G, G, D, G, B, B. So you have some nice like droning sort of sound because you have these, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not able to think of the word, these notes playing in unison, right? These notes are playing in unison. So you end up with like a really, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a musician. So I'm running out of words to describe this. It sounds awesome. The chord progression is very simple and it's an easy one to play just in general. But 
it's awesome because it's tuned so low. It just sounds very different than what a lot of other like acoustic guitar would sound like. So check it out. I thought it was awesome. And when I heard this song in the movie, I thought instantly, I got to look this up. I want to play it. And then it, I, it took me a few minutes to tune the guitar down. And that's the only pain when you're playing open tunings is you got to tune to that specific chord to that tuning and then you have to redo your tuning again which takes a few minutes so it's not the worst thing in the world but it does take a few minutes to retune things this episode is brought to you by ezoic Ezoic is a Google certified partner and they've recently rolled out their new site speed accelerator. Basically, it speeds up your, your site. It makes it load faster and you really see a huge improvement most of the time with the Google PageSpeed Insight score. Now, if you already have a high Page Insight score, then it's not going to go up as much, but I had experience with uh, one of my sites. Basically, it went from the high 20s, low 30s to the high 90s just by implementing the Site Speed Accelerator. Now, a few people have asked me about using Ezoic and basically using their DNS. The best way you can use the Site Speed Accelerator and Ezoic in general is to use their DNS. And the reason why is you're able to use their caching and their CDN. That's a content delivery network. Basically, those are services. Those are things you would typically have to pay for separately, but it's included with the site speed accelerator. There's a free seven day trial. So I encourage you to check it out. And pe again, people are concerned about using the DNS of some other third party. But basically, if you use a CDN, that is what you do. That That's like the thing that happens. If you use a CDN, you have to use another DNS and things are loading sort of outside of your normal registrar and your hosting account, but it helps your site load faster. So it's sort of implicit and I do it myself. So I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't worry about it too much. If you're using a CDN, then you're using other uh, servers to load your site anyway. This is a site speed accelerator, so you need to use caching in the CDN. Thus, you have a much faster loading site. So there's no harm in checking out the free seven-day trial. And thanks again to Ezoic. As for the movie, Everybody Wants Some, I would probably skip it. It didn't really have a strong plot line, I didn't think. It just kind of rambled on and it told a little story, but there was no big conflict that they had to solve. There was no big thing going on, at least not that I could tell. So like I said, I would maybe skip it. You could check it out if you have a few minutes and you find it streaming somewhere, but I definitely wouldn't pay for it. So let's move on to a couple questions. And this one was from a couple weeks back, the little follow-up. So Chad was asking about something specific with keyword research and foreign keyword research. So this is kind of interesting, and I didn't understand the second part of his question. Now, this was in response to episode 218 with Nigel. So this was around foreign keyword research in the US. So I needed a specific example and Chad spelled it out pretty clearly. So basically you would do Spanish keyword research using google.com.mx. But what if Chad is targeting Californian Spanish speakers? As the U.S. is the second largest Spanish-speaking country, there's a market for those who search in Spanish, even if they're bilingual. I didn't even think of this. That's a great question. And this is another related location-specific search problem. So let's say Chad's site gets a lot of views from Atlanta for some reason, but they bounce really fast. So clearly... That traffic is not happy with what they're seeing on Chad's site, 
but he keeps getting traffic from that. So how would you start dealing with it? Now, the fact is, I don't know the answers to either of these questions. So the first is around doing foreign language keyword research in the U.S. So if anyone has ideas on it, shoot me an email and let me know because I have no clue. What I probably would do is see what the competition is doing and or what is working. So it may not actually be the competition, but if you start Googling and doing this sort of research, and I would probably use Google actually searching, and I would also check out the keyword research tool of your choice. I would maybe sort of ignore the keyword search volumes because maybe it's not as relevant in general. It could help you prioritize what keywords you're going for in a specific order. But in general, you may just have to Google and see what is ranking. And then if you could figure that out, then you would be able to recreate or emulate what is working, even if it isn't your competition. Now, as you mentioned for your second question here, you may you may find things that are ranking even though it's not what the searchers are searching for. So if you have an understanding, if you spoke Spanish, for example, and you were, maybe you had family members that were searching and you could ask them, hey, when you search for this, what are you really looking for? And you can kind of unravel that sort of thing. Maybe then you can deliver the results that they're looking for. Now, with the geography being off, uh, especially with the location specific and you're ranking for something and you're getting traffic, even though it's not the right kind of traffic, I'm not sure what I would do. First, I would probably just be happy you're getting traffic and see if you can target that traffic to something specific that is helpful. (laughs) So since it's working, I would just keep doing it and then maybe figure out a way to monetize it. Maybe if it's something location specific and it's like local SEO, maybe you could contact people in that local geography, figure out if you can show ads for them, or partner with them in some way. And you could show them, hey, I'm getting all this traffic over here and see if they want to work with you. And maybe you have a direct ad placement and you're getting paid directly. That's probably one of the best ways that you can set up ads because there's no there's no other technology on top of it. There's no other people. There's no middleman that is taking their cut like AdWords or AdSense or any of the display ad networks. If you work directly with a company, then there's no fat. It's very lean. So I would I would probably do that. And otherwise, I'm not quite sure other than uh, yeah, shoot. I, I don't know. Like if you're if you're getting traffic and it's not the right kind of traffic, I, I think Google will slowly figure it out as they are testing things and ranking other websites. So I, I think they would recognize that. Good question, Chad. Very good question. And quick shout out to Niche Website Builders, who sponsors this Q&A segment. I've been having great luck with their shotgun skyscraper campaign. I think it's on pause right now for new clients, but I'm just getting so many links. It is amazing how well this works. And the great part is you don't have to do all the setup. So with the shotgun skyscraper campaigns, many hundreds, many thousands of emails are sent out and it's kind of a pain to set up. And you hear me talking about technology (laughs) migrating to another tool. So you can imagine, I don't want to learn new tools that, you know, are going to spawn a bunch of emails and all that kind of stuff. So it's great to have them manage it. They do have a lot of content writers though. So if you are looking for content, I personally have a 20,000 word order each month. They're doing a great job for me. And I appreciate them sponsoring this segment. So this other question is related to a content audit. And this is from Barbara. Now, Barbara replied back to one of the emails that I wrote about deleting hundreds of posts. And I want to give you a quick update for Niche Site Project. I actually deleted or redirected 211 
of 357 URLs. So not all of them were articles or posts, but a lot of consolidation. For the math people out there, you already know that that is roughly 59%. I didn't touch 78 different articles. I deleted specifically 58. I redirected 158. There are 48 that I wanted to just keep. I may have the opportunity to redirect and consolidate some of those 48. And there were 19 or so that needed some review. I'm pretty sure I can probably delete more and or consolidate some of the content, especially the ones that I just straight up kept and left alone. I think some of those have similar topics where maybe if there's a couple articles about content and maybe it was a specific slice, a specific take on content, I should be able to consolidate with another piece of content that is talking about content. That was a bad example since I use content too many times, but you get the idea. I haven't seen any improvements in the short term, but I think it could take a few weeks or even a few months for everything to pan out. Barbara says, I'm also deleting posts and cleaning up old posts on a 10-year-old site. It has nearly 600 posts to update, combine, or rewrite. I'm trying to hire out some of the work, but it's a daunting task. Amen to that. I mean, I when I was looking at this and I had less content to deal with than you, I was thinking this is going to be terrible. Further, Barbara says, especially because I'm in a uh, technical, and I won't mention the specific niche here, but it's a, a technical and nature, nature niche. So how are you getting all of the old content rewritten and or updated? Even creating briefs for the writers to follow takes a long time. I will be using, and I don't have as many to improve, at least in the short term. I only have about 19 or so where I need to review them. And I probably have, honestly, when I when I look at how many posts I have, there's probably a good chance two-thirds of them do need to be updated. So when I look at my my list, my little my little tallies down there, there's a good chance I'll probably have to update about 40 to 60 articles. So it is kind of a lot. I'll be using Market Muse to review the content and see what I need to add to it. Of course, I'm going to just make a manual pass and, and read through it. In in a lot of ways, I think I will probably end up deleting a lot of the content on those pages and just making them shorter and then plugging them into Market Muse, seeing what I need to do to improve the content. Did I miss a section? That sort of thing. So I'm not, I'm probably not going to hire out very much of it if I do. And I'll probably turn to people that are specifically qualified and understand the content matter so that I wouldn't really need to do any content briefs. What I would probably do, right, if I wanted to scale this a little bit, and maybe this is something you can do, Barbara, is maybe find one or two people that are qualified to read the content, assess where it was at, write a content brief, and then have writers work off of the content brief. So you would try to replace yourself in that you're hiring someone who can create the content briefs and then get it to the writers. You could have the writers create the content briefs to save a little time and they may be able to create the content brief, have you review it, you give them feedback, and then it'll be closer to what you want specifically, but you won't have to create all the content briefs. Unfortunately, there's no like big shortcut that you can do. The fastest thing you can do is delete the post and then hopefully that will improve things. And then after that, it's just a manual process. You have to go through each post. There are a few podcasts out there. I think Niche Pursuits has a couple podcasts dealing with content audits and what they've done, what different teams have done. And there's really no shortcut for reading the content and making the changes. You just, you got to do it. It's, it's pretty tough. So 
it'll take me some time and I'm just hoping by deleting all of the content that I mentioned before, you know, roughly 60% of the different URLs on my site, just having that consolidation is going to help. And I, th- I think it will. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I've heard good results from most people that have tried this, but I think it may end up being one of those deals where some of the posts are going to pop after I go back and update them after three years of not touching them at all. And all of a sudden they'll get a refresh, a little bit of an update. I think deleting the content and then making the improvements, that's probably going to make the biggest difference. So Barbara, let me know how it turns out for you. And finally, dry January, it came to a close and it sure was nice to have that that first beer on February 1st. I really didn't wait too long. I am documenting this stuff over on my new YouTube channel, which I think it's going to be, you know, a slow burn. It's stuff that I'm interested in. And these self-improvement challenges could be pretty fun. I just started a new one for February, which is meditating each day. So I've been going strong with that. It's been good. I haven't noticed anything dramatic, but I was trying to think about what challenge I wanted to do next. I had some great suggestions from people, especially around diet. I think because I was talking about losing uh, more fat and improving my makeup as far as lowering my fat percentage, people were recommending things around food. So one was veganism, one was eating keto. And I was like, ah, you know what? I'm not super interested in either one of those and ended up picking something that I was more interested in, which makes sense. I mean, I want to <laughs> get a good start um, for these challenges. And meditation is something that I've done for different periods. You know, it's been a few years since I've done it on a regular basis. And I listened to a short audio book by Chris Bailey. And it's one of those audible originals. And it was about meditation as a productivity tool. And essentially it helps you focus more. That's the big punchline. He goes into a lot of uh, detail, but it allows you to focus more, not get distracted and be more aware of what you're trying to work on. That's from a productivity standpoint, but of course, meditation has a lot of other benefits. So I just happened to listen to that book on January 30th or so, and I thought, well, that's a perfect thing to do for February, and it's a habit that, you know, I I don't mind sitting down and breathing. It sounds so simple, but it is so difficult to just sit down and breathe and not pay attention and let your mind wander all over the place. It's pretty tough. It's been good so far, and I'm looking forward to documenting that as well. And what I've done over on the YouTube channel is I've had a couple weekly updates or so. I think there's three videos over there. And very soon, I'll be putting together the full 30-day or 31-day dry January drinking personal challenge that I did. And it's been interesting putting together a better video. I have tried to document some of this along the way, but behind the scenes, there is a lot of, like to do a good YouTube video, you need B-roll and you need B-roll of things that you're doing. I have traditionally done a horrible job and typically just have talking head videos, which is far less interesting. So as I've watched more and more of YouTube videos in general and videos in the self-improvement space, they have great B-roll. So I am trying to pull together footage and it it takes time to do it. It's kind of fun. I think I'm going to get into it, but I am very bad at it right now. It's kind of interesting because it can be very simple just videoing a product or videoing myself doing something. But like everything, it takes work and you have to plan ahead a little bit. Sometimes you have to stage things. Like I have a set of post-it notes where I want to get some video of my 
health app on my phone. So I need to do a screen recording on my phone as I'm scrolling through the health app. I want to get myself on a scale since I, I weighed myself. And I also want to get a little bit of myself like working out because one thing that happened is I started getting a little better sleep and I started waking up a little bit earlier and it was as dark outside and it's cold outside. So Georgie didn't really want to go out and walk early in the morning. So I went to the basement and did little workouts down there where I run around and do some light body weight exercises or lift weights. So I want to get footage of that. And I really only need like two to three seconds of many of the things that I just mentioned, but you still have to go down to the basement, for example, bring the camera, try to get the lighting somewhat interesting and put it together. Then after you get all the B-roll, like you got to put this video together. So I've only done a few videos in, in the thousand or so that I've published. I've only done a few where I actually planned ahead and actually had some B-roll and recorded B-roll to make a better video. So this will be interesting. I know it'll be probably a little rougher than I want it to be. Luckily, I do have a very good video editor and she, she's been great to pull together my sloppy footage into something a little bit more, more uh, cohesive that tells a little story. So it'll be up to me, of course, for writing a good script that does take us through the full month of dry January, sort of the takeaways and how I, I dealt with, um, it really wasn't that hard not to have a beer. I just replaced the habit with something a little more positive. So it wasn't that bad, but it was really easy to pick back up. And the big conclusion here, like I said, I went right back to my old bad habits of having a couple of beers in the afternoon or evening, but after a week of getting worse sleep and I could see my heart rate went from like the very low fifties or around 50, my resting heart rate up to like 59, 60. I mean, a significant amount where it's very clear, like, Oh, you didn't have any beers for 31 days. And Oh, well there you started drinking again. So I want to get my sleep. You know, I feel better when I sleep. Now, the good part is I haven't had any like hangovers or anything um, noticeable. And I, I've heard people say, well, I, I didn't think I felt that bad. But then when I started drinking again on a regular basis, I realized that I was hungover. And I'm not. I, I maybe just don't sleep quite as well. But I realize I'm, I'm getting older and it's a ticking time bomb. I can't do this forever. So yeah, I'm going to drink a little less, but at, at the end of the day, um, it's just the sleep. I want to get a little more sleep. feels great to get a, a nice long night of sleep where you don't wake up through the whole night. So I think that's it for today. Thanks for uh, letting me vent some, hopefully share some helpful things, especially when you're migrating from one technology or some software to another piece of software. I hope that was helpful. If you have questions out there, feedback at Doug.show, and we'll catch you on the next episode.